Welcome to the Weekly Movie Throwdown. My name is Mike Messinio. And I'm Steven Sigmund. I'm going to burn this place to the ground. Will you stomp his ass out? You're telling me one man did this. The only thing you know is he's a beekeeper. A beekeeper, a beekeeper? Well, that's not good. Beekeepers is a special program outside the chain of command. I protect the hive. When the system is out of balance, I correct it. We have laws for these things. Until they fail, then you have me. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Weekly Movie Throwdown. This is our first episode, so we're going to explain to you real quick how this is going to go. So we take a theme for the month, and we're going to look at one movie a week that fits into that theme. We're going to talk about it, chop it up, figure out what's good, bad, uh, our thoughts, give you some useless information about it, and uh, figure out how we feel about all these movies. Yeah, uh, we're starting off with a bang. Uh, This week, the beat... The Beekeeper comes out in theaters, um, possibly the the uh, best film in the dumpuary season this year. Uh, so we thought it was a good way for us to look at the film history of Jason Statham, action star, uh, former male model, uh, former diver. And it's going to be fun. He has a really interesting filmography. Um, and The Beekeeper is the latest in that filmography and it's quite a film (laughs) it's something to watch for sure but we we thought statham would be great because he's just kind of the the quintessential action star and and he has been for a long time um and something that we're going to get into is his versatility which uh might be questionable (laughs) but he does say, take one can have a so couple. much versatility within making one movie uh, one type of movie is impressive but but in truth i mean he's if you look at his work he's done a lot of movies and the thing that i think is most fascinating about statham is that he has somehow been able to have a throwback action movie career uh you know this would not seem out of place in the 80s you know peak action movie time um and he has been able to sustain this for almost 20 years now Whereas many other people have just not been able to hold on to this career. Like the idea of the old school action star has just gone away, but he has found a through line and been able to, I mean, my feeling match a, a very similar arc to your Bruce Willis, Stallone, Schwarzenegger, kind of that peak action movie where he's above the title and you know exactly what you're going to get when you go see it. And he gives it to you every time. Yeah, and he's interesting because he uh, is that quintessential action star, and maybe it's different because there's a world of streaming now, but he is kind of like a box office action star, whereas a lot of these guys, I think, are on these straight-to-video films, and and I haven't seen him really go that route yet. Maybe, you know, he's only like in his mid-50s, so maybe when that starts to slow down, we're going to see him in a lot of uh, straight-to-streaming things, but uh, as it is, he's still just kind of draws at the box office and essentially even though i said he's versatile uh in the films he's in that aren't 
straight ahead action, he's still himself. <laughs> so the versatility comes in what's around him. But he, I think he has, just like you said, like that throwback feel to him. And one of the things that's, I think, big about that is not just the action element of it, but he has kind of that charm that you saw in Stallone and Schwarzenegger and Bruce Willis for sure. And so he's kind of just bringing that 80s feel forward. And uh, I'm pretty excited to talk about his films. Um, there were a million to choose from, but we, uh, I think we picked four, well, five that actually represent kind of where he is and, and uh, all the things that he can do. So I'm excited to get into them. Yeah, but first we're going to start with the newest one. So we're going to talk about The Beekeeper. And um, this is a really interesting movie because it's it's kind of feels like this is the new era of where Statham is going, where it feels like he's been going for a little while. Um, you know, the the Gonzo movies of like Crank and the high concept action that he's been doing has been evolving and we're kind of getting to a more core Statham. He doesn't say much, uh, kind of quiet just kicks ass and takes names uh, and goes about his business. But there's not a whole lot of him. There's not a lot of quips. There's not, there's not a, a, a lot here. He's just a man on a mission, which is very similar to when he did Wrath of Man, uh, even Homefront to a certain extent. Uh, similar in that. So in the past decade, I feel like he's gotten uh, kind of drilled down into what he does best and what he wants to do which is just single-minded destruction. And that's what the beekeeper is. I'll say that he, even though he that is his path, he's almost like Terminator-esque in a lot of the films. Uh, where I find him most enjoyable is when he's kind of with an ensemble um, or like a two-hander, like Hobbs and Shaw, and, and particularly when he's bringing a little bit of comedy to it. I really enjoy The Beekeeper. Is it a good movie? I don't know. But uh, it's, its tone, at least the tone for him, we could talk about some of the tone issues it has later, but his tone in it is is very like linear and, and straightforward. And he does that so well. But for me, I love it when he's a little cheeky and when, you know, there are people for him to play off of, because that means there's not just this singular vision and, and uh, Terminator style of, of uh, story going on. So this was kind of a return to that for him after uh, doing things like The Expendables and Fast X and, and the Fast and Furious stuff. And yeah, it's, it, was, it was an okay movie. I'm, I'm excited to, to talk about him and, and uh, his place in it. This is, this is my brief recap of Beekeeper. He, he is a beekeeper who's working on a, and he is an actual beekeeper, let's be clear about this. And he is rented a place from a elderly lady who's very nice. Uh, who he repeatedly says is the only person that ever took care of him. We don't really see any evidence of that other than her offering him dinner, but we're going to go with that, that apparently she was very good to him, that he liked her. She gets scammed by some comically villainous people who uh, use a, a phone scam to tap into her uh, internet and uh, get to her bank accounts and steal all her money. And after she takes her own life because of this, in the span of like five seconds, uh, he walks in, finds this and decides that everyone who did this to her needs to die. And he goes on a single man rampage of following this all the way to the top as far as it can go. And it leads to a pretty interesting place. Uh, I don't think I'll tell you exactly how this plays out because it's fairly new. I don't want to spoil it for you. 
But uh, we'll just say he goes all the way to the top. But he will not stop until he gets there. I'll give you one part. I'll give you the, the what I think is should be the tagline if this was an 80s movie. And it will give you all you need to know. Uh, someone tells him that when he's about to kill someone, that we have laws for these things. And his response is, you have laws for these things until they fail. Then you have me. That That's the whole movie in a nutshell. Yeah. And his, so he was, uh, he was in some sort of government organization called the beekeepers, which even the government doesn't know about. His his uh, role in this shadowy government organization was to just keep order uh, when things get out of whack. And one of the notes I wrote is, this is just John Wick with like a, a B-line story in it. And not like B-buzzing, but like a secondary story with the FBI agent. Because it's essentially the same thing, right? It's like the the enemy kingpin's kid does something to this guy and he goes on a revenge rampage and uh burns it all down so you're right the part about the inept kid is very is very john wick um so we i was gonna wait to kind of get into the filmmakers and all of this but this is a good part to mention is the the, the guy that wrote this screenplay his name is kurt wimmer uh when you look back at some of the stuff that he worked on he did a lot of remakes so he was involved in quite a few remakes. Like he was involved in the screenplay for the Thomas Crown Affair, which is obviously a remake of the Steve McQueen movie from the seventies. Uh, he wrote good film though. He wrote the screenplay for the uh, the reboot of Total Recall, Point Break, Children of the Corn. Clearly, <laughs> he's got this thing for doing reboots. So I thought as I was watching The Beekeeper, he just did a soft reboot of The Equalizer, John Wick, and Taken. And decided to mash all those together and make his own soft reboot of those movies, which is something he seems to be uh, pretty good at, or not good at, depending on how you feel about it. But that that was my my that was my feeling about watching. You know, the things that hit for Kurt Wimmer, I think, hit. The Recruit was kind of fun. Actually, the Thomas Crown Affair, I really liked. Um, I thought Salt was really good. Salt is is um, I was going to say Salt is really one of my favorite action movies of the past you know, 15 years or so. I, I, I recently just rewatched it, uh, not even for this, just on my own, because I really like that movie. And it's still wonderful. I, I think it's great. And I'm sad that there wasn't a sequel to it because I thought that was a hell of a character. And uh, I really enjoyed that movie. Now go back and watch it again and imagine Angelina Jolie as Tom Cruise, because that's originally how it was supposed to go, <laughs> which would have been very different and very interesting. Um, but yeah, Kurt Wimmer is... Uh, He's he's kind of all over the place and and uh, hit or miss, like I said. But uh, working with David Ayer, I I think you know he's sort of in his lane here, and and both of them are actually. Well, this is the second and, time uh, we've actually worked together. Uh, so they had done Street Kings. He wrote the screenplay for Street right. Kings. Uh, so they do have a history together. I think David Ayer as a director also kind of hit or miss. A um, couple things that I really really enjoyed, like. Uh, end of watch i thought was really great actually maybe that's it <laughs> i'm looking at his filmography uh he's he's of course the director of the uh the notorious suicide squad uh, so uh, before with, we get into he... suicide squad i i will say the fury was also a pretty good movie uh that was a war movie that he made brad pitt yeah 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 uh but suicide True. squad i actually decided to watch suicide squad uh recently just to kind of refresh myself about it and 
I really like how everyone involved in the Snyder era of these, this DC universe they were trying to make, they all act like there was a great movie in whatever they made. And, you know, the shadowy DC people or whoever kept them from the, making the movie they wanted to make. And there's been all this talk about the, you know, the air cut of, of Suicide Squad. And that it was truly a great movie. I don't believe any of that, and I don't think anyone should. It, it again, as you watch Suicide Squad, it's the same murky, you know, dour kind of silliness that all of those movies had, and none of them are fun. It's yeah. just Snyder's take on the DC universe just was not good. If you like it, fine, you like it. Uh, I think it was not good. All the movies have that same dark tone, uh, literally and figuratively. And none of it's enjoyable. And, and watching Suicide Squad again, you know, you realize that Margot Robbie is a star, and that's basically the only thing yeah. you take from it because she is the only thing that makes that movie enjoyable. And the less said about Jared Leto, right. the better. <laughs> yeah, we'll leave that alone. Uh, yeah. So, and I think Air kind of brings a little bit of that tone to the Beekeeper. Um, he certainly. We'll get into this, but. Uh, at one point, uh, a, so Statham is a retired beekeeper. He's retired from this organization called the Beekeepers. He actually becomes a beekeeper. <laughs> like, it's like, uh, I don't know, you work for Popeyes your whole career, and then you wear a Popeye costume when you retire for the rest of your life. Uh, <laughs> it's quite bizarre uh it, it is very little like i don't know what to do i've been doing this forever i might as well do it some more um but they eventually they send the working beekeeper and i guess there's only one of them which doesn't make sense to me like there's one in office right now and she comes in and just unloads on statham at a gas station and it that part is very suicide squad because this beekeeper statham is like stoic very uh neutral tones in his outfits and she is full of color pulls out this this gun that they explain to us shoots something like 60 6, rounds per second or something they, they actually tell us that but she's so colorful and even the bullets are colorful in a way that the suicide squad looked so i guess uh air has an aesthetic that he likes to bring uh, since you brought it up, can we just pause and, and discuss that scene for, for a couple of minutes? Because um, not only did it feel out of place in the movie almost, it made almost no sense to me. So let me get this straight. You are a secret government organization that no one knows about, but are the most lethal killers in the world, basically. And you send one of them to kill another one. You only send one, because I guess there's only one at a time. I don't really know for sure. Yeah. <laughs> she rolls up to a gas station in front of other people and just decides to start shooting everything in sight. I would think that the beekeepers, the whole thing about them is that they quietly go about their business. Why she would walk into a public place and just start shooting everything in sight is beyond me. Why you would start shooting everything in sight when you're surrounded by gasoline is a whole other thing. And the fact that nothing exploded is very puzzling to me. To be fair, Statham does walk into a lot of public places and just fuck shit up. 
you know, the whole, to the point where he's just inserts himself into a circle of FBI, like SWAT team guys in tactical gear and explains to them what he's about to do. <laughs> so I think he's, he's not worried about hiding what he's going to do either. <laughs> I feel like because he was retired, he, uh, he decided, screw it. I just uh, feel like if you're still right. on the job, I think that the whole point is you're supposed to not be seen. Uh, because no one's supposed to know who you are. Maybe I'm overthinking the beekeeper. I don't know. But but I just found <laughs> the whole thing crazy. And she's just screaming and shooting things. And I'm like, she's the worst covert uh, government assassin I've ever seen in my life. Just to back up a bit, we should say that Statham, first of all, Felicia Rashad, who plays his neighbor who kills herself, um, underused. I mean, she's in it for like five minutes, but her bank accounts are emptied. She immediately kills herself with no, seemingly no thought about it whatsoever, despite the fact that she gets a ton of messages on her phone from her banks asking if there was fraud happening. So they probably could have stopped those transactions from happening because of all these fraud alerts. It seems like security measures are in place. She just kills herself anyway. And Coincidentally, her daughter is the investigating FBI officer who's looking into her death. And then we see who took all of this money from her, and it's this data center. And what kind of workplace is this? It's the craziest place I've ever seen. It looks like a club, and it's totally insane. Um, I kept thinking that the guy in charge was uh i would love to see him played by ben schwartz as john raffio on parks and recreation because that's totally the vibe he had but anyway statham decides he's gonna go burn this place down like literally he walks in with that's gas my cans part where you think they burn it all down it might be a metaphor <laughs> but there are no yeah. metaphors none no no there's no hyperbole it's he's gonna do what he says he's gonna do um, so he burns this down. It turns out it's it's one of several call centers like this. Um, and at the top of them is Josh Hutcherson, uh, who I haven't seen in a while. It was kind of fun to see him in this dickish role. And overseeing him is Jeremy Irons. Jeremy Irons is in The Beekeeper. This is incredible. And, you know, he gets terrified. He's like the the dad in John Wick. He knows what the kid did and he's like, well, you're just dead. If a beekeeper says they're going to kill you, you're going to die. And he knows what to be afraid of. So he was the former director of the CIA, I think, which means he has, he has access to SEAL Team 6 and uh, Army Rangers and Green Berets or whatever. Uh, so they protect him poorly. Uh, beekeeper gets through all of them. Then they send the current beekeeper. And by the way, the whole movie's called The Beekeeper. This woman is in this, this film for like five minutes. Why wouldn't she be the one who's tracking him? I mean, she's a more worthy adversary. Have her go after the former beekeeper, try to end it. I don't understand why Jeremy Irons just brings in all these weird people who are easily dispatched. And it would have been so cool to see this beekeeper hunting him down, I think. I, I don't disagree. As I said, I just found that the whole scene where the one beekeeper goes in and she's just a cartoon and, and seemingly terrible at her job, it, it just kind of throws me. Uh, going to John Hutcherson, 
Um, I have to admit that I, I feel like I felt like this was probably his destiny because even in the Hunger Games, I felt like he had a borderline <laughs> punchable face. So in a lot of ways, <laughs> this fulfills exactly kind of where I expected him to go. And I think he plays a really good sniveling jerk off. Like he's actually really good at it and uh, credit to him. Cause yeah. He really hated guts. He is so terrible in this. I mean, not to, he's, he does a good job, but his character is so terrible just, and, and like a great embodiment as are the, the mid-level bosses at these call centers, just a great embodiment of what this film is, is trying to, shine a light on which is these terrible uh fraudsters who take yeah, all those call money. centers reminded me of like the wolf of wall street if they did all of their work out of like a former laser tag park <laughs> that, that's, what it that's a good assessment yeah, yeah. That, was, that, was my, that was the vibe i was getting and the second one i don't know if this meant anything but they had uh a terminator statue which to me felt like that's what Statham is. He's just the Terminator because there's there's almost un, until the end there's almost no uh, like friction. He just walks in and destroys everybody, despite the fact that there are entire FBI field teams. Uh, he just goes in and and terminates. And where, where would I like that they had a Terminator. Be, you know, where would we be with action movies if there wasn't a secretive government organization training people? Uh, to be human machines of death. Where would we it's be? It's true. I mean, it, it's you have to have it. And so one guy can just lay waste to 100 people without breaking a sweat. It felt very commando. And and basically without a gun the whole time. Because uh, he, he's not big on guns. So uh, he will cut fingers off. He will drive people into the river. He, you know, whatever he can without shooting anyone. So I have to say uh, my, my kind favorite of, part about this movie and you know, I guess this is credit to the screenplay where every time I said something to myself about something he was doing, like it immediately zagged because at first when he goes into the call center and he leaves the main, the head of that call center alive uh, randomly, you know, he lets him leave and then they go back to try to kill him again and then he leaves him alive again. And I, and as I'm saying to myself, this is really funny to me that he's leaving this guy alive. Then he immediately dispatches him uh, in a really fun way, which I'm going to spoil for anybody. But it's, yeah. it's and so, and then there's another scene later on when the beekeeper, other beekeeper, comes to kill him. He's looking at that jar of honey, which is obviously the jar of honey he was supposed to give to Felicia Rashad's character. Uh, right. And I laugh, and I'm like, and then I realized he had it in his backpack the whole time, and I was laughing myself thinking he's going to keep this honey the whole time. Like this is going to be like his lodestar. And then immediately he throws it at our head. Uh, like like immediately <laughs> yeah. I thought that to myself. So I just had a laugh where I kept thinking there were going to be some through lines or some, some themes that I could rely on, but nope, they got rid of those the second I thought. Well, that's interesting because the through line that is established at the beginning is that Felicia Rashad's daughter, who's played by Emily Raver Lampman is torn up obviously over her mother dying but that kind of falls by the wayside very quickly like she has a day of grieving and then she's back at the job and it's not really brought up anymore which i thought was interesting i mean i, I don't know what i was looking for there but it felt like very quick that she got over the death of her mother and was back on business 
Well, I guess the fact that she was trying to go after the people that she felt were responsible for her mother's death allowed her to just kind of put it aside and focus on it, feeling like this is what she had to do. Yeah, I guess um, that's how she grieved. Also, many drivers in this film for two scenes, clearly on set for a day. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't know why. There's very little there for her to do. Uh, she answers the phone twice and then she's out. Yeah, my, my thought Strange. the minute I saw her was, oh, this is fantastic. Mini Driver working. I haven't seen her in a while. This is great. And then my next thought was, wow, she's really not working because uh, she's barely in this movie. I, I thought there might have been more for her to do. But we can always hope that when they make the Beekeeper 2, which they are absolutely going to do, hopefully there will be more for Mini Driver to do. I think so. So far, it's been pretty successful and pretty well received by critics, surprisingly. But it definitely seems like this is setting up a John Wick style franchise. Also, John Wick uh, adjacent is their sort of low end computer systems in the beekeeper hive or whatever their hideout is. Very like steampunk old computers, dot matrix printers, even though it requires like a thumbprint to get in. And he get, does that by severing a second uh, digit in this film. Um, Everything inside is like from 1975. Why is that? <laughs> so I, I will defend this for a second. My thought when okay. I saw that was that they use all of that kind of technology to keep themselves untraceable. Right. If I had a guess that, or it's, it's just bad. But if not, if we're going to give the idea there's intent to it, that would be my guess. My question is why did it look abandoned? And why was not a single person there that he could just walk right in, take whatever he needs, take a car and leave without anyone even noticing this? Yeah, maybe the beekeeper has a safe house or something that's off grid. Uh, I don't know, but maybe that, was his uh, that actually reminds me. Yeah, maybe that's what it was. Maybe that was his personal. No, because he needed someone else's finger to get it. So he needed her. Yeah. Forget it. There's no, there's no sense of this. So, okay. Perhaps that's the current beekeeper, like whoever it is, that's that's their home base, because how would he know where it was otherwise? And to that, uh, early in the film, when they're running uh, his name, so we should say Statham's name, character name is Adam Clay. And the FBI tries to find who he is. They say he doesn't have a driver's license. He doesn't have any kind of footprint whatsoever. He's not on the grid. And yet the current beekeeper finds him in like a heartbeat. How does she do that? He has no technology, <laughs> but she rolls up on him like five minutes after she's sent to. And it's shocking. That's a great question. I didn't even thought about but, that. Well, I don't want to poke holes at this because it was a lot of fun. Uh, <laughs> it's Actually, I, I mean, think but it's, here's it's, the thing. These kind of movies, it's actually fun for both of those reasons. It's fun yes. because you get to watch it and just watch him destroy people and the fun ways he figures out how to murder people. And that's super fun. And then yeah. the other fun is just laughing at the total absurdity of everything that happens in it. Uh, I think that is equally fun. So I, I don't mind. We just want to preface, preface this by yeah. saying that us picking holes in it in no way takes away from the enjoyment of the movie. That's partially why I love it. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Um, I uh, I just saw it yesterday. One other person in the theater, uh, which I was surprised by because it's it's doing okay box office wise. But um, yeah, I really enjoyed watching it. And 
you know what you're getting you know like we've been yeah. saying so it's not I mean, like we're looking for something in particular but no. but, but while, while we're picking things apart there's just two things i haven't mentioned uh which i thought were kind of funny or or i was a little confused by uh when they bring a bunch of you know goons and they they find the house where he is and they go to take him out and of course they fail mm -hmm. at this uh but then after that scene is over after he takes out everybody the the cop show up the fbi shows up and the house is on fire yeah did he light the house on fire like why why is the house on fire if he killed everybody it would have set the house on fire did he just do it himself because he was just deciding to burn everything down because then of course, after he kills that woman at the gas station, the other beekeeper, he lights that on fire too. So my question is, is that his MO where he just burns everything to the ground after he after he takes care of business? And if that's true, that's a fantastic theme where he takes people out and then just burns everything in sight. Uh, you could have him go to the bank, take money out of a television, yeah. put it on fire and walk away. Like, they're just endless fun parts that you can do with this uh, if that's his MO. You, you can always yeah you always know which Starbucks he went to that day because it's <laughs> it's incinerated yeah. right yeah that's how they oh. found him but she just followed the trail of ashes like oh this has got to be him and then she found him that was that was it now you know yeah there it is um but uh, yeah despite all of the nitpicking uh it's a lot of fun and I think very, uh, very Statham, you know, it's, it's kind of almost him kind of getting back to form. I think, you know, I think wrath of man was sort of along these lines too, which, uh, was a few years back. And from there, he kind of has been moving in and out of, of like, I would almost say comedy action. Uh, <laughs> even though they're fast and furious films, I mean, they're pretty funny to me and he brings the sort of, humor to those films uh not so much in this he's, he's just very dry and straightforward but I, I i think it's a it's a great representation of him being able to do two different things yeah my feeling is um i'd forgotten that that the one of the last things he did was well he did fast x but he also did operation fortune which was another guy Ritchie movie that he worked on yeah and that movie was god awful like, like i was very <laughs> much looking forward to that movie i like guy Ritchie. And I liked them together. And that movie was hot garbage. And I think that was him trying a little too much to be something else and realizing he reached the limits of like what he could do there. And so maybe the beekeeper is just a reset of him getting back to what he does best. So yeah, that kind of felt like Guy Ritchie overreaching a little bit more into the into comedy action instead of action comedy. I mean, Snatch has fantastic comedic elements to it and it's a lot of action but operation fortune was more comedy than action and i think that uh yeah probably didn't work very well Again, the lesson is um, if you're going to do a movie that's more comedy than action and make sure that you uh cast people that are actually funny that would be helpful <laughs> yeah so well you know we'll see what uh what comes next but uh also he was in the Expendables, which I think is almost like a baton passing to a new action star, or almost bringing him into like the club of these '80s guys. I think that's an interesting franchise. We're not going to talk about it uh, on any of the episodes this month, but 
I think it's worth spending a little time on because it's just such an interesting thing that he's in this, like kind of the people he followed, they're all coming together. Uh, Maybe the way Bruce Willis did in the 80s, actually, with Schwarzenegger and Stallone. But yeah, and I I know that Stallone has a lot of uh, of pool with Statham. Yeah, so now now you're getting into my my wheelhouse because I'm I'm very much uh, interested in in the Stallone-Statham relationship. because as I said, I do think that, that Stallone has informed a lot of Statham's career, like post 2010. Uh, brought him into the mm-hmm. Expendables, kind of almost made him his surrogate. Uh, you know, the movie he made in Homefront in 2014 that Stallone wrote was originally supposed to be like a Rambo sequel. Uh, that was that was the original thought. Of it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, wow. And then he. And, and I guess Stallone shelled that idea and then decided that he was possibly too old to do it or didn't want to do it and kind of gave it to Statham. And I mean, and what we know about Stallone being a, an obsessive and kind of a control freak, uh, the fact that he would give away the script to Statham, to me, is almost a bestowing on Statham, uh, saying that he's kind of his guy now. And he you know, put him in the first Expendables. And, and the idea, I think, was always for Statham to kind of take over the franchise as they went on, which is what they tried to do in the last movie, where Stallone was barely in it, it was really Statham kind of running the team or running the show. Uh, the fact that that movie was a giant failure doesn't speak well to it continuing with Statham, but you can see that's clearly where things were going. Uh, and as I said, even watching yeah. The Keeper, I just felt like, it felt like you could easily have put Stallone in that movie, and Stallone could have played that part if this was 30 years ago. And Yeah, exactly. <laughs> So it just, it just almost feels like he's channeling Stallone now in certain ways. Um, and there are worse people to to uh, want to follow the face your action career off of. But that that is is the feeling that I'm getting as I'm watching it now. Well, that's why I think he is he's sort of the the uh, next in line for that 80s action crown because he is very similar to them. I think he he's a little drier than than Stallone and Schwarzenegger, but he still has that charm and that comedy side to him uh which i think you need for a successful action film especially in the 80s so i I think he's bringing that aesthetic back and it's cool to see stallone sort of helping him along not that he needs it but nice to see them working together sort of uh generations like (laughs) helping i I hate to say it this is not an insult to Stephen, but i get more of a steven seagal vibe uh from him lately especially in in beekeeper um, but we'll hmm. say early Seagal, which was actually good when he was making decent movies and uh, before he lost his mind. So, um, but a little less humorous, a bit more of what we're getting from something like The Beekeeper. Yeah. Speaking of Stallone, it looks like they're, he and Statham are kind of going to work together again with uh, Levon's Trade, which is an upcoming project that they're doing. Uh, actually directed by David Ayer. Uh, Stallone's writing it and Statham is set to star in it. So uh, it's kind of a nice little ecosystem they have going there. Yeah. And I think that, uh, you know, based on the beekeeper, you know, air fits really well into this uh, aesthetic of what they're trying to do. I mean, I think he's good at filming gritty action. um, You know, of course, even Suicide Squad, some of those scenes were good, just got lost in the muddiness of of the whole DC mess. But uh, I I think that 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 is a good combination. And Maybe uh, you bring Stallone in for a sequel to Beekeeper. Maybe Stallone is the original Beekeeper. He was like the guy that started the program. Oh, 
and he has to I seek like out this. like his original mentor in the sequel, played by Stallone, to work through whatever whatever's going on. I'd go see it. <laughs> it's kind of like Creed, but with beekeepers. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. Well, that's a you know we can hope. It, it, it clearly <laughs> seems like something's going to come of this because it it's a January release, and you know this is the season kind of between the end of the year and Oscars where things just kind of get tossed that they don't really have a lot of faith in and it's done pretty well so far. So I think if Hollywood does what Hollywood does, which is cash in on a success and, and do it to death, we're, we're probably going to see a beekeeper universe. And yeah, if I had a multiple. guess, I'd say we're going to see a beekeepers two before we see an expendables five. That will be, that will be what my bet is. Oh. Could be. Maybe this is the new Expendables. Maybe every Expendable was a beekeeper at some point. The, now you the, could easily do that. I was going to say, know. what if the original beekeeper was Rambo? I mean, anything's possible. Do anything you want. <laughs> <laughs> we might be writing a new film here. Yeah, Rambo 6 or 7 or whatever. Yeah, but, you know, ultimately, this is, this is a great Statham vehicle and uh, serious Statham very little humor in it and it's great i mean it it is it a good movie i don't know but is it it's a fun a movie absolutely movie to watch at like 10 o'clock at night uh on your couch when you want to just watch something that, that's a, a decent action movie uh i totally sign on for that. it feels very akin to things like taken or like uh, liam neeson liam neeson could be the original beekeeper <laughs> maybe i don't know but uh, yeah. it, it almost feels like a streaming film, but did surprisingly well at the box office so far. So, but again, it's, it's January when we're recording this and I don't know what competition it has other than Mean Girls, but, um, well, that's why it's good. Yeah, because the truth is that, that there's always, that there's always a segment of people. And I think that we're included in those people that are always going to want a halfway decent action movie, uh, and if and if it's it's done halfway halfway good, we're gonna go see it, and that's and that's who this is for. Uh, don't expect Shakespeare; just uh, expect some ass kicking, and you're gonna enjoy it. Yeah, it's it's a lot of fun for what it is. And, uh, and think about this for a second: I, uh, doing the theme on Statham. I mean, Statham now is potentially involved in, I mean, three, possibly four franchises. So if you mm -hmm. still include the Expendables, which is which is teetering and kind of on life support. But, you know, the Fast and the Furious, which can go on forever, and even spin-off Hobbs and Shaw, they can keep doing that uh, if they wanted to. Uh, this beekeeper thing is, is going to have legs. And they can keep making movies about the Meg, I'm sure, which... Is, yeah, I was going to say, yeah. I really enjoy seeing movies about giant sharks. So, uh, I mean, quietly, Statham is just like, last on, and, and I will pause now and say... Is that part of the advice that Stallone gave him? Just yep. try to try to get yourself attached to something that will have continual movies that people will go see. Uh, Stallone really invented, you know, the franchise, um, you know, the solo star franchise. If you think about it, so so maybe that's part of the advice he gave. Him. Who knows? Yeah, and and for his career, Statham has pretty much been doing that. Aside from the three you mentioned, you know, the transporter. There, there are three of those. Crank is there's talk of a third crank film you know so he's he really knows uh how to make things that people want more of and uh yeah again it's that 80s action playbook that is just 
I, I'm happy to know that we're still living in a country that wants to see these 80s action stars doing the same thing over and over again. As much as I love highbrow art cinema, I still want to see six beekeeper movies as a palette. You want to see a guy who's on a mission and figure out the inventive ways that he can he can kill people. Uh, and there was there were a couple of good ones in this. And I'd say uh, that that is uh, you know what Kurt Wimmer seems to specialize in if you think about it. Because one of the best things in Salt was there were a couple of really inventive ways that people were killed in that too, especially at the end with the. The chain when she jumps up, you know, with the, the handcuffs when she jumps off the the uh, the side of the staircase and snaps that guy's neck. Yeah. I was super impressed with that scene. There are some really really inventive things in the Beekeeper, like the uh, there's a bandsaw, which uh, it's great because when the when he knows this team is coming to get him at the farm, he goes into the garage or the the barn where he lives, which has endless tools and, and power equipment and he turns all of it on anticipating how he's going to take out this team with like saws and drills and it's pretty uh pretty great to see that forethought but then there's another scene with an elevator which is very inventive and uh pretty gruesome but uh also a lot of fun people so get that reminds me of the other thing that i wanted to talk about with this movie, as I, as I was watching the elevator scene, when he, when he goes into that building, all of that, he's wearing this blue trucker hat, which he seems to wear throughout most of the movie. And uh, a little big. Well, at some point, though, it starts to feel like Indiana Jones's hat because it never falls off <laughs> no matter what. There's a right. whole bunch of stuff going on, and that hat never comes off his head. So he must go to the same hat maker as Indiana Jones to make sure that hat stays on. It, well, maybe that's the beekeeper trademark. We'll find out in the subsequent films, I guess. But <laughs> there are a lot of fun things like that in this. Interesting kills, uh, great hat. And, you know, it, it's it's just something that you should probably check out. Maybe wait until it's on streaming, which you'll probably have to do because it's not, even though it came out last week, it doesn't have much of a theatrical presence anymore, which is interesting since there isn't too much out there. I actually had a hard time finding it like a well not finding it but finding an early screening of it it's all pushed to the late night uh times where things go before they go away so it was interesting and it's only a week old with nothing else out yeah so. i don't i really don't understand the whole release schedule anymore about movies i know they're finally trying to get away from releasing everything on streaming out of the gate which is a good thing but it's almost like they've forgotten how to put movies out in, in the movie theaters I don't, I don't know what's going on there yeah, and you th when we talk about the box office, I mean, this it, I couldn't find a budget for this, although I did see something that suggested $40 million. But its opening weekend, it made almost $19 million, which for a January film is, is pretty good. It came in second behind Mean Girls, which made $33 million. But I think that's a pretty good showing for a January film that's sort of niche with what it is. You know, I mean, well, it's not a four quadrant film by any means. Nineteen million is or in opening weekends already more money than Expendables for the entire run. So <laughs> really, yeah, Expendables <laughs> I think only made like sixteen million, if that, thirteen something. Like that. Wow, that's sort of heartbreaking, but it's also, from what I can understand, not very good. So it makes sense. Oh, what? But yeah, the, so uh, I right out of the gate, I mean, this movie was was really 
released or distributed by Miramax. Uh, and my first thought right. was when I saw it, like that I had actually forgotten that Miramax still existed. I mean, obviously the original Miramax and the Weinstein's less said about them, the better at this point. Uh, but it's been chopped up and sold and went to Disney and then Disney got rid of it. And I guess now it's part of Paramount and it, it's an umbrella under Paramount and they, and they released this movie, which I have to admit, I had no idea Miramax was still an ongoing thing. Well, it's interesting because Miramax is on board with it, but it's also an MGM film uh, and MGM owned by Amazon. So it's Amazon and Paramount, I guess. <laughs> it shows you who's the, who are the players in the, in the filmmaking world at this point. So I think, you know, that's, uh, we, we recommend The Beekeeper. If you can see it in a theater, see it. I know there are still some IMAX screenings. I don't know if you need to do that. Uh, I think that might be a bit much. I mean, the bees are much bigger, but other than that, it's not. Uh... Oh, by the way, I, I wanted more bees, like more actual bees in this movie. There, there's a scene where these thugs come to the farm and they shoot all of the bee colonies with a shotgun from a car. And I thought for sure those bees were going to swarm that car and just sting everybody to death, but nothing. They just yeah. took off. The fact that he did not at any point unleash bees on someone feels like a giant missed opportunity. Absolutely. So. Um, oh, one other thing to mention, uh, there was not much development in this film. And the, so he goes through these teams, first it's SEAL Team 6 and, and Rangers or something like that. Then it's this other beekeeper. We don't see like the big boss until maybe 15 minutes before the film's over. And we're introduced to him, this Australian guy and his team, where he's just in this house sitting on a couch and then that's the guy he fights to get to where he needs to go. Why didn't we have more of that guy? Or could that be another film? But even if it's not, I, I feel like that guy should have been introduced earlier or given some sort of uh, story or something. I don't know. But it feels like the main villain or the main you know, uh, physical adversary for the beekeeper came and went. Uh, and that that's kind of a common thing throughout with the with the other beekeeper and this guy. Uh, I don't know. D did that bother you? It, it bothered me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, again, I was trying to not to think about it all that hard, but yeah, it was just like yeah. a random Australian dude who claims that he killed a beekeeper once before. Uh, that was his big yeah. claim thing, that him and his team had taken care of it already, uh, and he was just like a cartoon idiot. Uh, but sure, I, I would have enjoyed finding a little bit more about that, like even where he came from and, you know, how he's part of that whole organization where they were able to bring him and his team in. So uh, I would have been interested yeah. in about that. Uh, yeah. But again, you know, uh, don't think too hard about it and you won't be disappointed. Yeah. As we're wrapping this up, I didn't know there, there's really no good time to talk about this, but, but I, I have to talk about it because um, I, I was thrilled when I saw it. So as I was going through, uh, Kurt Wimmer's IMDb, uh, just looking at movies he'd done. And this is so I did a lot of, you know, remakes and reboots and things like that. But the very first movie that he worked on as, as a screenwriter, when he wrote the story, was a movie called Double Trouble back in 1992. Now, I saw this <laughs> and freaked out because anyone who is our age, anyone who grew up watching action movies in the 80s, remembers. Peter Paul and David Paul, who were these yeah. former bodybuilder, muscle-bound brothers 
They were called the Barbarian Brothers. That was what they were known as in the 80s. Yeah. And I think the first time I saw them was in like DC Cab, the movie DC Cab that Mr. T started. Like, <laughs> right. Um, and they were just kind of, you know, almost like the anti-Schwarzenegger, where they were just, you know, they, they weren't actually good at acting or anything, but uh, and had no real plan. They just kind of enjoyed being on TV or in movies. And they popped up on random television shows and somehow they made multiple movies and i think this is the last one i think this is kind of like the last movie they actually got a chance to make uh, so it's called yeah. double trouble and I, I don't know they have to break up a jewel smuggling ring i know i've seen this movie uh, i think i saw everything they were in i don't know why um but yeah but, but this just made me laugh and i i really wanted to share it with everyone you should go look up the barbarian <laughs> brothers and the, the best part though is much like you're wondering what Jeremy Irons is doing in a beekeeper. Roddy McDowell is randomly in double trouble, which is just fantastic. <laughs> so that's amazing. Yeah, there's just no real good place to sh share this with everyone, but you just need to know and uh, go back and look at the Paul brothers and and see the kind of fun that we had in the 80s. Yeah. They, they were actually in a deleted scene in Natural Born Killers, too, which is uh, fascinating to me. I would love to see that scene. I never have. But uh, wow, what a blast from the past. The, yeah, yeah. <laughs> an obscure it, blast from the past. Like, I felt like I was 10 years old again. <laughs> I started laughing. And, uh, great. So that guy immediately yeah. out of So right out of the gate, I, I, was, I was in. That's his first film. It's only up from there. But then he did do a, a Point Break remake, which is sacrilege to me. So uh, now I have no respect for him. Well, that's not true. Uh, the Beekeeper is a fine film. Uh, so yeah, it actually is a, a good film to watch. So watch it if you can. And uh, I'm sure it'll be on streaming soon. So, but yeah, that, uh, unless you have anything else, I think that's it for uh, the first episode. And and now, where, where do you go from the Barbarian we, Brothers? There's nowhere else to go from there. I think that's, that's the, uh, <laughs> the natural stopping point. Um, yeah, I think so. Um, but yeah, so this was the first episode of the show and the first episode of a month of Jason Statham films. And uh, next week, we're going to get into another pretty cool film from him. Um, we're going to look at the 2006 action comedy, I guess, uh, Crank, which is quite a ride. Uh, it's sort of the opposite of The Beekeeper in a lot of ways. Very energetic, very uh, comedic, and, and uh, a whole lot of fun. So join us for that next week. And uh, do you have any parting words, Mike? No. So we're... Uh... This is what we're starting with. We hope you guys enjoyed it. And uh, we appreciate you spending time with us. More movies to come. Uh, you know, we'd love to hear from you guys. You can get in touch with us. Uh, you know, your thoughts, theme ideas, anything you uh, feel like you want to hear about. We're, we're happy to do it. Yeah, you can reach us. Uh, we have a Patreon page, which is uh, patreon.com slash movie throwdown pod. And Movie Throwdown Pod is our handle on all the social media platforms. Uh, and if you want to email us, it's moviethrowdownpod at gmail.com. So uh, get in touch and uh, we'll keep the conversation about Jason Statham going. Thanks, everyone. And uh, we will see you next time. So long. <laughs>